A few years back, History of the Saints began production of seven seasons of a documentary television series titled History of the Saints. Season one, Foundations of the Restoration. Season two, Joseph Smith's Kirtland. Season three, From Pentecost to Persecution, the Missouri Years. And season four, Joseph Smith's Nauvoo. Then three more seasons telling the story of Brigham Young and the Saints, beginning with the Nauvoo Exodus in 1846, titled Gathering to the West. Then Building Zion. And finally, The Kingdom Endures. Altogether, over 100 hours of Latter-day Saint pioneer history. For these and all of History of the Saints books and DVD products, visit us at historyofthesaints.org. Welcome to the History of the Saints podcast. My name is Glenn Rawson, series host. What you are about to listen to is an episode about the documentary history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This episode is one of more than 250 presentations from 1805 and the birth of Joseph Smith the Prophet through 1877 and the death of Brigham Young. This series interviews some of the finest scholars of our time and presents the latest in historical research and facts as it relates to early Latter-day Saint history. And it comes from the long-running, highly acclaimed television documentary series, History of the Saints. If you have a desire to learn the history in depth and detail, then this podcast is for you. Thank you for joining us. We will build a council house and meet together, and you shall read to us and teach us more concerning the book of our fathers and the will of the Great Spirit. Chief William Anderson. Coming up next on History of the Saints, the Lamanite Mission Part 2. On to the Missouri. October 1830. Oliver Cowdery, Parley P. Pratt, Ziba Peterson, and Peter Whitmer, Jr., the four missionaries called to preach to the Lamanites, journeyed west on their way to Indian lands. They stopped in the area of Kirtland in northern Ohio, where they found thousands eager to hear the message of the restored gospel. Before they left, a short time later, they had baptized 125 people. By the end of November 1830, they were once again on their way west. And as they went west, two of their friends there in Kirtland went east. They wanted to meet the prophet Joseph Smith. They were Sidney Rigdon and Edward Partridge. And that's where we begin our story. December the 10th, 1830, at the home of Joseph and Lucy Max Smith in Waterloo, New York. Joseph appointed a meeting at our house. While he was preaching, Sidney Rigdon and Edward Partridge came in and seated themselves in the congregation, Lucy Mack Smith. So Edward Partridge was a hatter from Western Massachusetts. Um, and when he was about 20 years old, he moved to Painesville, Ohio, and he set up shop there. But when you look at the tax records, um, you realize that Partridge's home is actually fairly decent size compared to his neighbors. Um, he became very well respected in the community. 
His neighbors, within about five years of when he arrived in Painesville, his neighbors started voting him in as the local treasurer. And so he was unanimously elected as the treasurer in 1822. And then again in 1823, he married Lydia Clisby. And so they had five daughters and an infant son who passed away uh, shortly after his birth or at his birth. Um, and so he's prospering in his family, he's prospering in the community, in his business. At the age of 20, Edward became, as he described it, disgusted with the religious world and saw no beauty, comeliness, or loveliness in the character of God as preached by the sex, end of quote. His family considered him something of a religious maverick. Then along came Oliver Cowdery and his brethren. Four men called at my husband's shop and brought the Book of Mormon and offered it to him. Lydia Partridge. He refused them and not only said, I do not believe you, but I think you are all imposters, um, and sent them away. Um, but before they got sent away, Oliver Cowdery said that he was thankful there was a God in heaven that knew the hearts of all men. Um, and then they left. And apparently Partridge may have been touched because he sent one of his workers to go and to follow them and to buy one of the books. And Lydia joins. She's baptized in the fall. Um, Partridge wants to go and meet Joseph before he joins the church. My husband partly believed, but had to take a journey to New York State and see the prophet before he could be satisfied. Lydia Partridge. And so he and Sidney Rigdon set off in what some have said is one of the coldest winters on record, and they go to New York. Um, interestingly, they go to the Smith Farm, they examine um, the farm, they look at how it's kept up, and then they go to where Joseph is preaching at his parents' home, um, and Partridge listens to Joseph preach. When Joseph had finished his discourse, he gave all who had any remarks to make the privilege of speaking. Upon this, Mr. Partridge arose and stated that he had been to Manchester with the view of obtaining further information respecting the doctrine which we preached, but not finding us made some inquiries of our neighbors concerning our characters, and having heard that our veracity was not questioned upon any any other point than that of our religion, he believed our testimony and was ready to be baptized. If, said he, Brother Joseph will baptize me, Lucy Mack Smith. And according to Lucy's record, Edward was baptized the next day. Four days later, he was ordained according to scripture under the hands of Sidney Rigdon. And shortly after, Edward went on a mission to his family in Massachusetts. He told them his conversion, and to his surprise, they angrily rejected him. Some members of the family even bade him never return. Having received Oliver's letter about what was going on in Kirtland, the prophet Joseph sent John Whitmer on ahead. The Lord manifested himself to Joseph the Revelator and gave commandment for me to go to the Ohio and carry the commandments and revelations with me to comfort and strengthen my brethren in that land. He sends uh, John Whitmer ahead to 
uh, take copies of the Book of Mormon. He takes some of the revelations, copies of some of the revelations with him, so they have some direction as to how they're uh, to do things. Uh, but it takes John some time to get there, and uh, by that time, the communities are and Kirtland is already beginning to develop into um, a whole different kind of congregation. There was a lot going on, and when you know when Joseph did hear about the conversions in northeastern Ohio, he sent John Whitmer out to kind of preside, um, somebody with a little bit of experience. Uh, to, to just keep everybody, you know, kind of on the straight and narrow, um, because there, there's a danger with with all, several hundred zealous new converts who don't have a whole lot of experience or a whole lot of leadership, and there were um, strongly ingrained ideas, religious ideas, uh, just from the religious culture at the time, that do creep into. Uh, this, the early saints in, in Ohio. John Whitmer arrived in Kirtland somewhere between January 9th and the 15th of 1831. And the Lamanite missionaries, after leaving the Kirtland area near the end of November, they continued westward with a new companion. I'm sure the missionaries to the Lamanites were pleased when uh, Frederick G. Williams, this new, vibrant, enthusiastic convert, said, I'm, I'm going with you. And so he signs on board uh, as an additional missionary. So he's certainly not called by revelation. But Oliver certainly had uh, the discretion to say, yeah, why, why not? Come and join us and be part of our, our group. Shortly after the missionaries leave, a heavy winter sets in. And as a matter of fact, uh, historical accounts seem to suggest that it's the heaviest winter that anybody's ever experienced in this area. It cuts off all traffic, so they can't communicate effectively uh, back and forth. They're just uh, on the other side of Cleveland, and so we know that these missionaries actually stopped in Amherst, Ohio, in Lorain County. And there, of course, uh, Parley's has some friends and individuals who obviously knew him from his, the time he and Thankful had been living there. And this is where uh, Parley is arrested and uh, has a, uh, a detainment, you might say. Yeah, years later, of course, in his autobiography, he talks about that arrest and finally how he basically considered it, in his mind, at least a frivolous charge. And he decides to make his escape from his captors in what I think is probably one of the most humorous and colorful uh, stories of Stew Boy and this uh, dog that, of course, uh, is sent to uh, take him down. I then started on my journey while he stood amazed, not able to set one foot before the other. He did not awake from his astonishment sufficiently to start in pursuit, till I had gained perhaps 200 yards. He came hallooing after me and shouting to his dog to seize me. Stew boy, stew boy, take him, lay hold of him. I say, down with him. The dog was fast overtaking me, and in the act of leaping upon me, when quick as lightning, the thought struck me to assist the officer in sending the dog with all fury to the forest a little distance before me. I pointed my finger in that direction, clapped my hands, and shouted in imitation of the officer. The dog hastened past me and redoubled speeds toward the forest, being urged on by the officer and myself. Parley P. Pratt. 
Now, when they get to Cincinnati, the weather's getting pretty, pretty cold. Uh, the conditions, this is a terrible, terrible winter. Worst winter in a generation. And uh, they pick up a steamer in uh, Cincinnati and uh, get down to the mouth of the Ohio and to a location today known as Cairo, Illinois. At this point in time, the Mississippi River is pretty well blocked with ice, so they have to hit it on foot again uh, when they go now north up to St. Louis before crossing over to Missouri. At St. Louis, these missionaries should have contacted William Clark. This is the same William Clark who, in 1803 to 1806, of course, was the expedition leader along with Meriwether Lewis to the Great Northwest. Three-year expedition, if you can imagine. But following the passage of the Indian Removal Act in May of 1830, William Clark was placed as superintendent of uh, Indian Affairs in the West by none other than Andrew Jackson. So it was a mistake on their part, but I think it was probably out of ignorance. They just didn't know. From that point in time, they're going to now uh, make it away, make it across Missouri. The dead of winter. This is extreme winter conditions, and they ate frozen cornbread and raw pork. I mean, it was just day-to-day survival. But of According to Peter Whitmer Jr., the best account we have is that they arrived in the area of independence around January 13th. While the five Lamanite missionaries trudged westward into what would come to be called the winter of the deep snow, remarkable things were happening back in New York. A few years back, History of the Saints began production of seven seasons of a documentary television series titled History of the Saints. Season one, Foundations of the Restoration. Season two, Joseph Smith's Kirtland. Season three, From Pentecost to Persecution, The Missouri Years. And season four, Joseph Smith's Nauvoo. Then three more seasons telling the story of Brigham Young and the Saints, beginning with the Nauvoo Exodus in 1846, titled Gathering to the West, then Building Zion, and finally, The Kingdom Endures. Altogether, over 100 hours of Latter-day Saint pioneer history. For these and all of History of the Saints books and DVD products, visit us at historyofthesaints.org. Joseph receives a revelation in December, today at section 37, the Doctrine and Covenants, where it's just it's just a couple, of, it's like four verses long, very short. But the Lord, it's a bombshell. He says, I want Joseph and, and members of the church living in New York to move out to Ohio and start getting ready. And again, a commandment I give unto the church, that it is expedient in me that they should assemble together at the Ohio against the time that my servant Oliver Cowdery shall return unto them. Now in section 38, given in January, so one month later, he, he explains why. He says, you know, there's, this isn't just a bug you. <laughs> I, I, there's reasons I want you all together in Ohio. Um, here he talks about safety. And again, I say unto you, that the enemy in secret chambers seeketh your lives. Ye hear of wars in far countries, and you say that there will soon be great wars in far countries, but ye know not the hearts of men in your own land. And we don't have any details on that, but, but there was persecution brewing that uh, he wanted them to, you know, not, not to have to go through. 
so get out of here uh, for that reason. Um, he talks about Ohio being, you know, it'll be a good spot for missionary work, for a good base of missionary work. And it is centrally located with the canal system at the time, with the Erie Canal, with a canal that, that tied into the Ohio River. You really could, by, by, water work, by waterways, get to major population centers fairly easily from northeastern Ohio. Joseph receives that revelation, you know, to go to the Ohio, and there he'll be endowed with power. And the Savior also says, and there I will suddenly come to my temple. That's the first indication of anything about a temple. And I imagine in my mind, you know, Joseph says, temple? What temple? You know, what's this about? Uh, there's an expectation that Christ is coming, and this uh, they're drawn into the early millennial uh, movement, you know, that uh, others are, have been kind of pushing in America, but uh, there's a clear expectation that the end times are upon them and that Christ is going to return again. And it seems that they are expecting this to happen in Ohio, or at least that Ohio will play a big role in, in this. February 1831, Oliver Cowdery and his brethren crossed over the Missouri River and went among the Indians. They met with the Delawares and the aged chief, William Anderson. He was the son of a Scandinavian father and an Indian mother. They spent several days there, and, uh, and, and Chief Anderson was quite impressed with the message of, of the Mormon elders. Uh, Harley P. Pratt, uh, in his autobiography, uh, gives a, a wonderful summary of Oliver Cowdery's uh, remarks to Chief Anderson and his tribal council. Aged Chief and Venerable Council of the Delaware Nation, we are glad of this opportunity to address you as our red brethren and friends. We have traveled a long distance from towards the rising sun to bring you glad news, which has lately come to our ears and hearts, and which will do the red man good as well as the pale face. Thousands of moons ago, when the red men's forefathers dwelt in peace and possessed this whole land, the Great Spirit talked with them and revealed His law and His will and much knowledge to their wise men and prophets. This they wrote in a book, together with their history and the things which should befall their children in the latter days. This book was written on plates of gold and handed down from father to son for many ages and generations. Oliver Cowdery They were well received, and I think Anderson uh, felt so inclined to, to, to listen even more that he said that he would uh, hope to have a larger council house built where he could have these men preach and, and teach his tribe about his, his forefathers and so on. So uh, Parley Pratt, again, uh, is the source for the, uh, Oliver Cowdery's message uh, to this, uh, this Delaware tribe. It looks like they spent several days there, and then they returned to the Independence area, probably to regroup again. In keeping with the law, the missionaries appealed to the government-appointed Indian agent Richard W. Cummins for permission to preach among the Indians. 
Cummins is not going to bend. Uh, he's not going to let these guys do any preaching because he knows they don't have any papers. Um, so he's clearly told them, you have no right to be here. Um, you have no authorization. Because of that, Oliver Cowdery writes a letter to William Clark, the superintendent of Indian Affairs in St. Louis, and requests that his, uh, he and the other men be able to be permitted to uh, preach uh, to the Indian tribes. We know right after this that um, Parley P. Pratt was sent by the other four to go to St. Louis and to petition personally uh, William Clark and see if he could uh, influence him in a, in a personal way. Um, it doesn't look like that meeting ever took place, and there's some evidence that Clark was actually back in Washington, D.C. So uh, there was probably going to be no hope on the part of the Mormon elders to uh, get any sort of a government approval or sanction for uh, additional uh, opportunity for the Mormons to preach in Indian territory. So this basically kind of brings the whole uh, mission of the Lamanites to an end. Thus, notwithstanding the invitation of Chief Anderson to come back and teach his people of the book, the Lamanite missionaries were forbidden to go back across the river. So, all things considered then, was this mission to the Lamanites a success? Some look at the mission to the Lamanites and say, you know, they didn't baptize anybody. Well, remember, one of the main reasons for them coming down there was not only to preach to the Indians, which they did, and did everything in their power to try to do and to fulfill. The other commission was to try to establish a presence in the area that would be the area known as Zion, or where the New Jerusalem would be established. So even though the missionaries, the Lamanites, were not entirely successful in terms of Lamanite conversion, they did fulfill the injunction. But second, they stayed there and began to preach the gospel, uh, the restored gospel, to the local inhabitants. And uh, it apparently experienced some considerable success. Maybe not uh, initially, but it, it, it took off. It, it uh, increased. So um, the, the Cowdery and the mission Lamanites, the missionaries and Lamanites, did exactly what they were covenant. They covenanted to do was to a preach to the Lamanites in Indian territory, and they did that to the best of their ability, even though they did not have every opportunity based upon the governmental restrictions. But to b, but b also, and that is to uh, begin to establish a presence. Uh, in this area that would later uh, be established as or identified as the Latter-day Zion. Having been unsuccessful in meeting with General William Clark in St. Louis, Harley P. Pratt continued on eastward, stopping off in Kirtland, Ohio, where to his surprise, he found the prophet Joseph Smith and the headquarters of the church. And that is where we begin next time, the move to the Ohio. I'm Glenn Rawson, and we'll see you then. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on what you have listened to, please go to historyofthesaints.org. The History of the Saints team that produced this podcast has also produced numerous books and full-length documentaries on early Latter-day Saint church history and the key figures that made that history. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. 
This podcast of History of the Saints has been produced by Dennis Lyman and Glenn Rawson. History of the Saints is a 501c3 nonprofit organization.